Live from the Business Radio X studio in Atlanta, it's time for Dental Business Radio. Brought to you by Practice Quotient. Practice Quotient bridges the gap between the provider and payer communities. Now here's your host, Patrick O'Rourke. Hi there, friends and family of the dental business community. This is Patrick O'Rourke, your host of Dental Business Radio. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'd also like to thank our sponsors, Practice Quotient, Professional PPO Analysis, Negotiation, and Strategic Guidance. If you are a top-tier provider and you feel like you are not getting compensated uh, appropriate to your training and expertise and competitive advantages in the market, then you may want to consult with the fine professionals at Practice Quotient. That's www.practicequotient.com or 470-592-1680 or info at practicequotient.com. Practice Quotient, it's like intelligence quotient, but practice quotient. Um, I thought it was clever. My wife thinks it's silly, but there you go. If you hit me up on Instagram, if you tell me if you like the name. Anyway, um, I'd also like to thank Mark Johnson. Mark Johnson is here all the way from St. Louis. Do people in St. Louis get upset if you say St. Louis? No, they like it. That's fine. Perfectly right. fine. Thanks for having me on the show today, Patrick. It is my pleasure. So, Mark, uh, you do something that's very interesting. Um, you know, you come from the finance world. Um, I have, a, you know, a wee, wee bit of experience in there. Um, and... One of the things that has been shocking to me to learn, or not shocking, like, you know, totally, but um, definitely uh, problematic, the size of the loans that these kids have to take out to go to dental school and come out, I hear it a lot that this, you know, they get out and then they don't realize that they are now half a million or more in debt. And, you know, they're trying to buy a practice and sometimes the bank will give them loans. Sometimes they don't, but it's not like they went to business school either. Um, and so when I uh, was approached uh, with your, um, how you're kind of tackling this, it made me curious. And so, you know, with that, with that preface, can you just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your mission here? Sure. Thank you. So, yeah, I, I grew up in the investment industry. I've been in the investment industry about 30 years. And uh, seven years ago, I ran into uh, an opportunity to give an investment presentation to a group of orthodontic residents here at, we'll say, St. Louis University for you. <laughs> And um, there was about 45 in the class and about 15 graduate were getting ready to graduate from residency. And um, a few of them after the presentation said, hey, we'd like to talk to you about investing after residency. But did you know that we're graduating with one had 400,000 in student loan debt and one of them had 750,000 in student loan debt? And I said, are you kidding me? I had no idea you could even get that much in student loans to go to you know, a graduate level program. And they, and I, so I started poke, asking some questions because I'm a curious guy. So, you know, tell me a little bit about the resources available to help you figure out how to pay this off. You know, does the financial aid office at the school, you know, provide some resources? Has there been any, any, any other financial advisor come through, buy you pizza, tell you, teach you how to do this? And um, they said, no, we're, we're left up to our own to kind of figure this out. And I was like, well, that's strange. Uh, as you know, Patrick, there's a financial advisor for every finance topic under the sun, right? 
And I said, so there certainly must be somebody out there that's focused on student loan repayment. Um, so I said, let me see if I can find someone for you. And uh, I poked around and I couldn't find anyone. And so that was the genesis of Student Loans Rx. And so I'm a wealth advisor with RBF Wealth Advisors here in St. Louis. And I started Student Loans Rx seven years ago to help. Um, initially, my, you know, my focus was on the dental space. And that's still probably 80% of our clients that come through Student Loans Rx are in the dental space. But we, we also help out some, some MDs and some pharmacists and a few veterinarians because really anything at that graduate level in the healthcare space, they're coming out of school oftentimes with 250,000. And I have one client that has a, he's an endodontist and he's got a million dollars in student loan debt. Was his books more expensive? Um, I think he, he lived on one of the coasts and, you know, got a family going, uh, I think early in his, uh, maybe in, even in dental school. And so he just, he just needed more loans. I mean, one of the one of the things that's changed here in the last decade or so, and I don't exactly remember when it changed, it was before my time in working with student loans, but up until, um, let's say, fairly recently, the last 10 years or so, you could only take out loans for tuition and books. But now, in the last decade or so, you've been able to take out tuition for living expenses. So if you live in, you know, Iowa City, and you're taking out living expenses, your loans are going to look a lot different than you're living in Boston or LA, right? Mm, and so, so, the, so the kids that go to school on the coast come out with, you know, tremendous amounts of student loan debt and someone in, you know, like I said, Iowa City, University of Iowa or University of Missouri, Kansas City, you know, public schools in the Midwest, you know, they're coming out with oftentimes half as much in student loan debt. Mm-hmm. All right, don't, that. It does make sense. So it's not the books that are expensive. It's the living, the housing. That's interesting. Um, so as they have all of this debt, nobody's talking to them about um, what they can do to pay it down. Is the interest rate manageable? Well, so uh, since March 13th of 2020, uh, President Trump, since we've been in COVID, so coming up on two years now, actually interest accrual and payments have been stopped. So all, most all federal student loans have been in forbearance because of COVID. President Biden has extended the forbearance. And so for two years, there has been no interest accrual or payments. Now, the average person graduating this year is from dental school, uh, the interest rate on their federal student loans is in that six and a quarter to six and a half percent range. Again, that's been turned off for two years. But on May 1st, um, supposedly payments are supposed to resume and interest starts accruing again. So if you got 300,000, the average dentist graduates with around 300,000 or so in student loan debt. So 300,000 at 6%, just for simple math, you know, that's $18,000 a year in interest alone. And so someone graduating with 300,000 in May or June this year has pretty much had $36,000 of, you know, let's say forgiveness, if you will, because there's been no interest accrual the last two years on their loans. Yeah, I see. So hopefully those of you out there in listener lane that have been working during in the past two years were using that as an opportunity 
to uh, pay down your loan and not trade stocks on Robinhood. That's what uh, that's Pat talking, not the wealth manager talking. Uh, I do not have a license, so I don't have anything to disclose. My opinion is not a substitute for qualified licensed uh, counsel, licensed to practice anything in your state. Um, legal disclaimer. So you, so you started talking to these kids about it, um, and so they're. I, I've just I'm I'm a little surprised about the whole forbearance thing. They're like, all right, so you don't have to pay any any, any of your loans back. Um, Didn't they and, turn your mortgage off too for the last two years? Um, no. Oh, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> that would have been nice, right? Yeah. I mean, they they're like, oh, I don't know. There's no. Yeah. Uh, why would I? Even if they did, like, if they said you don't have to pay, why would I want to not pay? Right. No. I. I'm just. I was just being yeah, facetious. Yeah. And no, uh, they 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 really. You know, it's been a great benefit. I mean, now one can argue whether six and a half percent is too high or too low or whatever for for who, loans. Who's holding uh, these loans? Is it all the Fed? It's all the yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, that's low. If they go, if they were to go out and get a private loan, you know, their first year in dental school, um, they'd a have to probably get a cosigner. Well, ninety percent of the time, they'd have to get a cosigner. And the rates would be much higher and probably variable. So, yeah, I mean, given the other opportunities out there for credit to go to dental school, you know, going to the financial aid office in the school is is really the only way you're going to finance a you know a, a dental degree, unless you got to you know unless your parents can help you out or you got a rich rich uncle or something, you know. Yeah, rich uncle John Ray. Um, can't use food stamps, John Ray. Um, anyways, so, so when these kids come out then, so you're going to talk to them. Now I've been to dental schools before, um, you know, none in Missouri or Kansas city. Um, but, uh, I was like, Hey, and I was explaining like PPOs and credentialing and they're all looking at me like I slipped into Portuguese and, you know, um, I was talking to them. And so I'm like, there's nobody gave you any business. There's been no business people in here. And they're like, uh-uh. And I was like, all right. So I was there for a while and they all seemed very appreciative, but I really felt like I was throwing a pebble into the ocean. So, so some of the schools, you know, some of the schools have like a, what's called like a practice management club. And there's uh, a club a like a glee club. Similar, no singing, I don't think, but similar. And uh, they, have guest speakers come in to talk about various aspects of practice management and stuff like that. And there are some schools that, that ha offer some, you know, a course or two, as I understand it on practice management. Our, we have a dental school here in St. Louis. Um, and I know a handful of the faculty member there and, and they do have some practice management classes, but you know, uh, it's, you know, there's a lot to learn in dental school. I'm not a dentist, but as I understand, these are these are really sharp young professionals, and they've got a lot to learn. and And uh, they're not really, yeah, they're not. I wouldn't say they're prepared in dental school to be a practice owner. That would be for sure. Um, and so, you know, I think most of them, uh, you're not going to be able to go out and buy a practice immediately out of dental school. I I know one lender that uh, uh, will take a look at you after you have six months of production. So most first year dentists 
are going to, you know, become an associate somewhere for a couple of years. And what I try to do is, you know, when I visit the dental schools or get a referral to someone who wants to be a practice owner, I'm a, we try to put together a plan if it's within their wheelhouse of saying, I, my personal opinion as a wealth advisor is if you want to be a practice owner, I'd like to help you be in a position to do that 24 to 36 months out of school. Now, if you want to do that earlier, then that's fantastic. But most lenders want you to have somewhere between 5 and 10% liquidity in order to give you a loan. So it's going to be very difficult for someone coming right out of dental school. Let's say if they want to buy Dr. Smith's practice and it's a million dollars, you know, they're going to have to have 50000 or $100,000 of liquidity. Well, you know, the average dental student's not going to have that, you know, six months out of dental school. So we try to help them, you know, we put together comprehensive financial plans. So first thing I do is I review their, their employment agreement make sure they're optimizing their benefits wherever they go to work. Uh, so if it has a 401k and health insurance and all those things, uh, then we start putting together a budget for them, help them put together a budget, income expenses, what's left over for discretionary savings and spending, dis- saving and saving and investments, I'm sorry. And then if you want to be a practice owner in 24 to 36 months, how do we set aside a bucket of money so that when you walk into the bank and say, hey, here I am, I want to buy Dr. Smith's practice, I need a million dollars, you know, that they're in a position to do that. And the banker doesn't tell them, well, you need to do this, this and this, come back and see me in a year or a year and a half. So, um, you know, 50, 60 percent of dental students, based on my experience, want to become practice owners. At least when I when I go in and buy them lunch and they they raise, I asked the question, how many of you want to be practice owners one day? At least half of the hands or more go up. So uh, the reason I really like dentistry is it's still, it's one of those last healthcare professions that's still very, very entrepreneurial if you want to go down that road. I concur with that. Now, when these kids are getting out of school, where are they going? Because I heard health insurance benefits. Now, generally speaking, that's only going to be in um, companies of uh, 50 plus employees. Sure. So I don't have exactly the stats, but you know, they're going in. We can just make shit up on the show. It's okay. Okay. All right. Uh, well, you don't have a compliance office, but I do <laughs> No. Uh, but the, I'm, I'm just kidding. Compliance people. We do right. not make stuff up at all. It's a total joke. Okay. Have no. a sense of humor compliance folks. We love you. No. Yeah. They, they keep us out of jail. That's good. So, so, <laughs> I say that there's four tracks when somebody comes out of um, dental school. They're either going to residency, right? Um, They're going to become an associate either in a private practice or a dental service organization. They're going to uh, go into public health. So be an associate in a public health clinic, you know, or they're going to go into the military. So those are kind of the four tracks that um, dental students take. And so based on each of those four tracks, there's some nuances to the planning that we put together. So for example, somebody's going into public health, chances are they're going to have health insurance. They're going to have a robust um, uh, benefit package. If somebody goes to work for one of the larger DSOs, and there's you know a number of them, let's say Heartland Dental, Aspen Dental, Pacific Dental, you know one of the big dentals, right? Uh, they're going to have a robust uh, benefit package, 401k plan, health insurance, you know, probably some group disability insurance. I'll even give them a little bit of employer paid life insurance. Okay. 
Um, now, if they go work in a private practice, it depends. A lot of private practices, you might have to work there a year to be eligible for any benefits. Uh, some private practices, the staff get benefits, but the doctors don't and or the providers don't. So it's kind of a mixed bag when you go work um, in a private practice. Uh, the other thing is sometimes when you go work at a private practice, you may not be an employee. You may be a, a independent contractor, 1099. And so then not only do you not get benefits, but you um, are going to be responsible for your full social security. And so, you know, it just depends on, but, you know, we help them review kind of the pros and cons of those different arrangements, help them create a budget once we know roughly what their take-home pay is going to be each month. And then from there, we start making some recommendations on, you know, what they should perhaps do with their student loans. Um, interest rates are super, super low right now um, for refinancing federal student loans. Like I said, the average student graduating this year is probably going to have student loan interest rate of around six and a half percent. And I was just visiting with one of my clients this morning. Uh, we were talking about he and his wife met out of school a couple years now, but they're going to refinance a um, little over 400,000 of student. They each have 400,000 in student loans, and they're looking at refinancing that at about 2.4%. So significant savings, you know, if interest rates do, if interest accrual gets turned back on May 1st and they end the COVID forbearance, um, you know, now the Federal Reserve has said interest rates are going up this year. So I'm encouraging folks that uh, have the, the wherewithal, the means to you know, look at refinancing at least a portion of their federal student loans, if it's appropriate within their budget, because I think two or three years from now, we having a conversation about good decisions, bad decisions. I think if you can lock in a repayment schedule at anything 3% or less, that's going to probably have looked like a pretty good decision. But what would be the downside? Well, the downside um, is that, uh, so they have extended this COVID forbearance has been extended. They were originally supposed to turn interest rates back on last fall. Then they extended it through the end of the year. Then they said, the last time we're going to do it is February 1st. The Department Secretary of Education said, this, this is the absolute last time. We're not extending it behind February 1st. And then they announced they're extending it to May again. So the theory is, is well, and we had this conversation this morning with my client. Well, what if they extend the zero interest rates beyond May 1st? I said, well, I, that is a possibility. I, nobody has a crystal ball, but I just wrote an article called don't let the tail wag the dog. And so the idea is, is that you've got zero interest rates, perhaps for the next two, three, maybe four months, but you're going to be making payments. In this case, it was a 15 year refinance. I said, so don't let, you know, a few months of zero interest rates get you tied up to where you can't make a great decision to lock in a 2.4% rate for the next 15 years. Because I said, if the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates this year and you hold off six months and now we're having a conversation about you refinancing at 2.7% or 2.8% you know, for 15 years, that 40 basis point difference over 15 years is going to be a lot more money than if we just locked in in March at 2.4. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can So again, we don't have a crystal ball, but I don't. You know, I, my, my view is if you can get money at 2.4%, you can do a lot of cool things with, with that money um, over the next 15 years. Gotcha. So I see they're like, well, it's zero right now. 
Mark. Yeah. Uh, um, but there's this is an unusual environment. This is not the new no the the new normal. If I hear that one more time, um, we are in an unusual environment. I mean, there's asset classes for sneakers. It's nuts. Um, yes. You know, it's free money is not free. Is there anybody who in I don't know? Somebody told me this the other day. I don't know why it stuck with me. They're like, well, you know, student loans could be forgiven. And I was like. Pfft. So I do there is there some sort of theory running around that uh, Washington or Congress or the well, White House are, could well, could go forgive their loans? Well, there's there are advocates for that. I mean, Elizabeth Warren, there's you know, advocates for, for everything. Yeah, ran for president. Well, she ran for president, and so oh, yeah, she's, she's smart, smart lady. And she would she's advocated for that. There's a uh, yeah, there is a uh, a small group that's advocating for forgiveness and they have forgiven some. So since president Biden uh, was elected, they ran a search of all federal student loan borrowers that were also receiving um, social security disability payments. Right. So they they cross-referenced that list and they Mm -hmm. forgave all of their federal loans. Mm. So that's just happened in the last year. And so, and there is very slow. Yeah. So there is what's called public service loan forgiveness. That's if you go work in a public health clinic um, that meets certain criteria for 10 years, you make 120 payments. Um, So over a 10 year period of time, whatever's left at the end is forgiven tax free. So there are, there's a precedent for student loan forgiveness, but it's generally linked to some type of uh, benevolent service, right? Going into the military, um, working in a public health clinic, going to work um, at a Native American reservation for three years or something like that. It's required some benevolent service on their part. Right. And as a taxpayer, I'm for that. Right. That makes sense to me. Just forgiving sure. all of this debt. As sure. a taxpayer, I, I'm, I'm puzzled. Well, or, the, you know, that, I mean, there's a whole sense. there's a whole list of things you could, you know, we could talk about. I mean, I'm a veteran. Um, should they thank forgive you for my service? Sh- thank you for paying for my service with your tax dollars. My but, pleasure. But um, but any well, you probably weren't. I'm older than you. You might have not even been working. I have to thank your parents. You might not have been working when I was in the military. I just but, did lots <laughs> of oil volé. Okay, I'm actually eighty. All right. Okay, you look great. But but anyway. Um, You've got a face for radio, right? <laughs> John Ray is uh, always telling me that. So no, but um, you know, should, there's when you start talking about forgiveness, you can make all kinds of arguments about different groups of people that uh, are deserving. But you know, my my contention is is that you know six and a half percent interest rate on federal student loans when interest rates have been the ten year Treasury just went over two percent for the first time in a couple years, right? So I think the federal government personally has been kind of gouging students a little bit. Now, you know, you go out and take a look if you're going to give somebody a half a million dollars and they don't have any collateral to put up. If you walked into a bank, you know, they'd laugh at you. So there's there's a whole conversation that needs to to happen around student loans and education. And, you know, can anybody sign up and get them? And, you know. Um, I would have never made it through dental school. I just don't have the study skills to do that. And it might've taken me a couple of years and a couple hundred thousand dollars of loans to figure that out. And then what, then what do you do with the person that, that couldn't get through? 
And so, you know, do the, do the schools, the schools have virtually, there's unlimited funds. So you can pretty much get whatever you need from the federal government to go to school. If you can't get that, you're, you can tap into your parents' 401k plan. You know, they'd love that. I uh, told my need- kids, tough luck. Yeah. I tell them they're younger. I heard you, you said something before that uh, made me like you immediately about how you, um, you teach finance to your children at a very young age. I caught that and I was immediately, I was like, yeah, I like that. I'm not going to repeat it here. So one day we'll do behind the scenes, dental business radio, and I'll tell that story. But for right now, you know, so both of us teach our kids at a young age. And I told my kids, if they don't work their ass off, they're, they will not be going to college and that uh, they can, you know, uh, serve me my Starbucks when I go through line. Well, work, there's a lot of, a lot of great things are accomplished through hard work. There's no question about that, but hard work alone, as these schools continue to, you know, if we're talking about going to dental school, your kids are going to have to start working pretty hard, pretty early to, to cover a $500,000 nut to get through dental school. So, I mean, that's insane. So what is, how, has there been any study on like how much, um, is there a correlation between being able, Uncle Sam giving out basically free money for your housing and all this other stuff. Um, I'm assuming they have some criteria. Um, and the tuition rates? I, I don't know of any study. What I do know is that the schools have absolutely no incentive to keep their prices from rising. Okay. Any, if you, you said you visited some dental schools and when you go on there, all you see is cranes. There's just construction everywhere on every campus, not just dental schools, but in universities in general, because there's no, there's no requirement for them to, you know, the federal government is there handing out money to go to school. It's virtually unlimited. Okay. And so, you know, if you're a business owner, it's, it's supply and demand. You've got unlimited supply which creates a tremendous amount of um, demand. And so, uh, you know, I don't know what, if there's a short, there's a shortage in certain pockets around the country of, of dentists. And so, you know, to get as many of them out into the community is, is fantastic. But over time, you know, if they just keep adding on to schools and larger and larger and larger and larger classes, you know, it's going to be very, very difficult for dentists to make the type of money they can make now unless they're willing to go out into rural communities where there is a shortage of dentists, as, as I understand it, my, my clients that are in the rural communities, you know, can make a great, great living have, and, you know, own multiple practices in smaller towns. I've got clients that are the only dentists, you know, within 20 or 30 miles. Me too. And, you know, and, you know, some of my clients sign a no compete when they go work in a larger city and they can't go work at a dental office within two miles or five miles of, of, of you know, where their where their first job is because there's so much saturation in the, some of the larger communities. So, you know, it's the student loans thing. What we just really try to do is we want to help them, you know, put together a plan that's going to make sense for their their career path. If they want to go into, you know, be a practice owner one day, kind of where they are in their their personal life, you know, a lot of them are going to have been putting off starting a family, getting married until they, you know, get out of dental school. And so there's a lot of pent up consumer spending that they haven't been able to do while they've been in school, you know, for eight years. And so oftentimes, you know, they're, 
they're ready to buy a house, they need to upgrade their transportation, and they got this mountain of student loan debt. So kind of sorting through all of that and figuring out the priorities is really, I think, one of the, it's not rocket science necessarily, but it's one of the services I think I feel the most proud of that we provide is just to kind of help them think through, okay, you know, we just graduated from dental school, you know, I've got my first employment agreement, I'm going to be making $150,000, you know, I really want to buy a house, but does it make sense to buy a house right out of school? Or should I, should I wait and make sure, A, is this first job going to be the one? Am I going to be here for a while? Because I think I've seen a statistic, 15 or 20% of first year dentists, you know, leave their, leave their job after the first year. And so, you know, if you're getting a job and then you're, for whatever reason, it doesn't work out six to 12 months after your contract, you know, expires, you know, do you really want to, you know, buy a house? And so I just say, you know, try to be patient with some of this consumer debt, you know, don't necessarily, don't buy a house right out of school, you know, don't sign that $700 a month Audi lease, you know, you'll be able to pay cash for it in a few years if you're smart. And, you know, once you, once you, once you sign a lease on a brand new car, it's, it's hard to break that habit and be comfortable buying a, you know, a used car with 60,000 miles on it. You know, they kind of get you hooked and then you're feeling like you're having to drive a brand new car all the time. And so those, some of that, cons- that consumer culture that we're in, you know, does not help at all in becoming a practice owner and it doesn't help paying down your student loan debt. So I just, we try to, you know, I mean, again, this is, uh, these are, uh, this is wisdom of the ages, but seems like uh, it's not really, it's not the culture today. You know, there's, it's a spend culture. So we try to try to share that information with them and then go through the different federal repayment programs, you know, income driven repayment, the standard repayments, and just try to make sure to get them on the right program. Mm. I, I like it. I think that this is a very noble service. It's really not done. Uh, you know, a whole lot. I'm sure that there's plenty of tools out there um, for people, um, docs in particular. Uh, and for some reason, it's just not something that's talked about. I, I mean, I can't tell you how many clients, very successful clients, I you know, I know over the years that uh, essentially are running their business the same way that the household is run check to check, you know. And it, it puzzles me. Well, again, I mean, the I, cultural I, thing we don't teach, don't teach a whole lot of finance and, you know, in the, in, you know, unless you go on and get a finance degree, you might have to take some personal finance class in high school, maybe in 11th grade or something, you know, it's how to balance a checkbook, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And, you know, so money is not a topic that, you know, is a, is generally taught um, in our society, unless you're, you know, you really have to seek it out. And, you know, like you said, there are tools out there, um, you know, that people can jump on there's online stuff, but, you know, I could watch a YouTube video on how to clean my teeth. I probably don't need to go to my dentist every six months, but, you know, (laughs) I, I still see the value of, I, I still see the value of going and visiting with a professional, I'm going to I'm, I'm Googling that. I want to see at, at 50, at 53, I don't have a cavity. So it seems like it was the right decision to go visit my dentist every six months. But, um, well, I think that there's something to be said always about having professionals. I mean, I could, you know, I could YouTube on how to, you know, wax my car. I'm not going to wax my car, but I'm also, 
not going to do my own taxes and I'm not going to write my own contracts and be my own lawyer either. Right. I'm not going to be my own dentist. I, you know, I'm like, as a business owner myself, I'm, I cannot be an expert in everything. I just need to be really good at what I'm good at. And then I need to go find the smartest people out there to help me um, in areas that they're smart with. I mean, you know, John Ray's the exception to the rule, but, you know, he told me he was an expert at uh, being a, a show producer. Um, but, you know, he's got his gifts over there. Uh, but that's what I do. I want to go hire the best people uh, about it. And sometimes we need prodding. Uh, I think that there's there's coaching that has to be done. And even, you know, I mean, I'll tell you, made a lot of money early in my life and nobody really taught me about money either. And so guess how, what, how I learned it? the hard way one day the music music stopped and i'm like where's all where's all the money well we had a really good time <laughs> me and my wife for several years and i'm like oh we have lots of money not so much um and so you know luckily you know when i learn things i try not to make the same mistake twice so uh, it, you know that's where you know but when I have children and, you know, I think for those of everybody, not that I want to think of my listeners as my kids, but for my kids, anyway, I try to teach them the things that I try to say, look, you don't have to take the punch in the face here in order to duck. Like I know this punch is coming. So just learn to duck if you'll listen and finance and understanding money and prioritizing your money and the compounding power of money over time. And, you know, how effective, simple savings are and, you know, financial freedom. These are simple things. Um, but, you know, you don't have to learn it the hard way. Um, and a lot of times you need somebody to coach you on that at the very that's, least. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's really all we are. I mean, this stuff is not rocket science, but, um, but having someone to, to coach you and encourage you and, you know, most, most households, I would, I would say 80% of American households, maybe higher, you know, don't have a written budget. You know, a couple doesn't sit down and say, here's our income. Here's our expenses. How much do we want to spend next year on vacation? How much do we want to spend next year on the holidays? Um, you know, in St. Louis, probably about every 20 years, you got to put a new roof on your house. Okay. And, you know, we got, a new roof eight years ago. So in 12 years, we're going to have to come up with 20 grand to put a new roof on this house. Right. And so are we setting money aside for that? Or where's that 20 grand going to come from? Maybe it's going to be 25 grand 12 years from now. And so where does that money come from? And so if what we, what I really want to do is I want people to understand that, you know, we want to help you put together a budget. We want to help you put together the word budget is people don't like that, but that's what it is. You plan a budget, whatever you want to call it. We want to help you put together a plan so that the, there's going to always be curveballs that life throws at you, right? Um, people lose jobs. Global pandemics happen every hundred years or so. Um, you know, sometimes there's health issues that happen. And, you know, so life throws curveballs. And yeah, there's going to be some that you're not going to be able to duck. Okay. But when you get hit in the face, do you have resources set aside? Um, do you have some, uh, have you built a professional team around you that can come alongside you and help you get back on your feet um, or, you know, or even train you on how to, how to hit at a few curveballs. And so, you know, that's what we try to do is to do our very best to prepare you for the future. 
And, uh, you know, one, one little anecdote was prior to COVID, you know, one of the first things I try to do in a, in a budget is help them save uh, three months of living expenses. And so um, I used to get a lot of pushback on that. Uh, because, you know, interest rates have been so low and they're like, well, why should I have $15,000 sitting in a savings account earning, you know, 1% or less? And I said, well, I don't know. But at some point there's going to be an emergency and you're going to want to be able to get into some cold, hard cash and you don't have to worry about selling a stock that might be down or whatever. So we have different buckets of money for different things, right? You don't use a Phillips screwdriver uh, for a, uh, where a regular screwdriver works and vice versa. And I said, this money is not intended to grow. It's not intended to be profitable. It's just their cold, hard cash. And so I get a little pushback on that, but fortunately most of them listened. Okay. I had obviously no idea that most dental offices were going to be closed down for two to three months because of a global pandemic and having those resources set aside. Now I didn't, you know, it just kind of worked out that way. It's been a great story now because I tell people, don't worry about, you know, if you've got three months and now the ultimate goal is to get to six months of, but that first hurdle of getting three months of living expenses put away, most people are going to, most dental professionals are, if they lose their job, they're going to be able to scramble and find income within, you know, a 90 day period of time, even if they have to get a part, couple part-time jobs. And so we just want to do our best uh, to help them build a plan that's going to, uh, it's not going to be perfect. Uh, it's going to be evolving over time, but get them in the best financial position possible to address that. Like we talked about earlier, that first big financial um, decision is how do I pay off these student loans? That's going to be their first decision once they graduate, first big decision. And we want to make sure that they don't spend two or three years on the wrong plan. And that's, that, that happens. I've got we have probably about 10 or 15% of our business I call redos, which are people that graduated. They didn't seek help from a professional figuring out a plan for their student loans. They, you know, maybe they watched some person on YouTube or they listened to a school friend or, or somebody that wasn't qualified. They read it on Facebook or, or whatever this, or, cool yeah. stuff. It's, it's not, yeah. Facebook's not cool anymore. I don't know. I, Never yeah. been my thing anyway. Yeah, I mean the stock is way down in the last uh, few weeks here, so it's not as cool as it once was, I guess. But but anyway, they they got they got advice. They got it from somewhere from an unqualified party, and about ten percent of our new clients come in, and they were on the wrong plan for the for a couple of years, and in some cases it cost them you know thousands of dollars because they didn't know what they didn't know. So we offer a free thirty minute consult and. Uh, no obligation. And we're just here to, to help people make the best of their, you know, they've spent eight years going to dental school, well, four years undergrad, four years of dental school. Maybe they went on to residency. They spent a big chunk of their life going to school. They got this mountain of student loan debt. We want to be in the, we want to put help, put them in the best position to pay that off and to reach their career and personal financial goals. I think that's very honorable. And I like the way this that you put it, that this is your first big decision and you get into running your own business. And it is not like um, there's not other business challenges to await you or life challenges for that matter, as somebody who's also married and has children. It, this is um, it's a pit on your big boy and your big girl pants. Um, you know, I, I didn't want to do the budget either, but I really wish I had somebody like you when I was 
you know, younger to say, look, here's what you need to do. Um, and instead of looking at it as work, you got to look at it as step stones to financial freedom because you don't want to be a, a prisoner um, to your own financial debt and you don't want to be in indentured servitude either or be forced to make decisions. Like if you don't have the three months of savings is a very good example, actually, because like, what if you, you know, you're scrambling, maybe you can scramble, but should you need to scramble? Like, why do you not want to scramble? Maybe you need to take some time off or maybe you want to move to another city or who knows. Um, so well, and 50% uh, of 50% of new dental students over 50% are, are women. And so they might have a time in their life where they want to take off, you know, some time for maternity leave and, or some, as that's just an example that came up recently with one of my clients. And, you know, we've already got three months of living expense saved up because that's our emergency savings. And now, you know, we're putting a little bit more money aside. So she's going to be able to take off time, uh, spend time with her, with the baby and, and not have to be stressed out about, you know, well, I got to get back to work as soon as possible because I, we, you know, uh, two income household, I can't afford to be off work. Well, that decision, she doesn't have to worry about that. They, you know, the couple doesn't have to worry about that because they've already prepared in advance for it. All right. It feels good. It's freedom. That's real freedom to me. Absolutely. So John Ray, he, he, he feels free too. You know, whenever he gets pregnant, he wants to be able to take off and enjoy his time. Um, so I like what you're doing and I don't think uh, I've heard many other people. I, I'll be frankly, I haven't heard anybody else go this route. Now what's time sensitive as far as this, um, what's going down in April. So just real briefly, right. For our listeners, break it down and say, here's what your decision needs to be or what you're, you're what you're facing. And then how do they reach you? Sure. So between now and May 1st, if they've graduated in the last couple of years, especially 2020, 2021, they haven't had anything to do with their student loans. So that's just been on hold. So they're going to have to make a decision um, that uh, they're going to have to pick a plan to get on. If they don't do anything, it's going to default to a 10-year repayment. And so if you've got 400000 of student loans, and you're going to, it defaults to the standard 10 year payment. That's like four grand a month. So, so you'll get that letter in the mail. Um, so there's several different options. They could enroll in an income driven repayment plan. There's four different plans. We can help them figure out which one uh, would be the best for them. Uh, they could consider refinancing with a private lender. We coach our clients on, you know, which of those, which provider might be the best for them given in uh, there's about a dozen or so big lenders out there that just focus on refinancing uh, student loans. Um, and then for those graduates coming up, 2022 graduates that will be graduating in May or June from either dental school or residency, you know, typically they have a six-month grace period where they don't have to do anything with their student loans. But again, if, if interest gets turned back on May 1st, that means six more months of interest. So if you're on a if you have three hundred thousand in student loan debt, that's nine thousand dollars of interest that's growing. And so we just, I mean, the bottom line is have a plan. Have a plan between you know work on developing a plan for your student loans between now and May first. And uh, they can contact us by 
um, going to our website, studentloansrx.com. That's studentloansrx.com. Or they can uh, give me a call at 314-737-8123, 314-737-8123. We do offer a free 30-minute consultation, no obligation. Um, if they want a free consult, they go to the website. Again, Student Loans Rx. Just click on the button, green button, says free consult. They take takes two minutes. We have a couple of questions they fill out. Takes less than two minutes to fill that out. They hit the submit button, and then we'll schedule a time that's convenient uh, for them to we'll do a 30-minute Zoom consultation and talk about the different options that they have for repayment. I think that's awesome. Thank you, Mark Johnson. Our listeners, thank you as well. John Ray is making puzzled looks over there, and I would like to explain something to John Ray. John Ray, see, interest, when you're paying interest, when you have a big chunk of money, the more money that's out there and the more interest you're paying on it, the more you're actually going to pay over time. So you want to reduce the amount that you owe, and then you will pay less interest. Um, I know that you were wondering about that. So for you and all of your other cousins out there. This is your host, Patrick O'Rourke. Uh, I'd also like to thank our sponsor, Practice Quotient, PPO Analysis, Negotiation, and Strategic Guidance, professionals, certified, and very, very good at what they do, www.practicequotient.com. Uh, this is your host, Patrick O'Rourke. Thank you, Mark Johnson, all the way from St. Louis. Do you guys, did you root for the Rams or not? Uh, no, we did not root for the Rams, but thank you not. for having me on. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you, John Ray. You know, I love you. And with that, until next time.